At this time, I want to invite our children to go to Children's Church. Uh, Paul will meet you in the back and take you over to a great time uh, with some leaders that really care about you. A few things I want to emphasize uh, just before we begin as well. One is an uh, opportunity to celebrate a life well lived. And was uh, uh, his family was a member of our church for a number of years, Jim and Maxine Taylor. Jim uh, passed away this last week, and he'll be having a service at 1 o'clock a week from this coming Monday, let me see, yeah, week from this, week from yeah, tomorrow on October 1st at 1 o'clock, and the family just want to invite those who can come down to Pendleton and uh, just remember him. Uh, also, want to let you know that uh, we've had a project being planned in terms of adopting some of our planners out there. Maybe you've seen some highways where it said, this highway is adopted by so-and-so. We now have Grace Hills Church. This planter is adopted by. And so if you'd like to take one planter, an area, and just make sure it just is weed-free, the flowers are blooming like the promised land, uh, then just put planter on your card, and uh, we'll get your name up there. You only have to make a commitment for three months, or is it 30 years? I can't remember what it is. But anyway, <laughs> you, uh, if you'd like to be involved in that, uh, just put that on or contact uh, Steve Johnson. Uh, I don't vouch for him, but I encourage you to do that. Also, hopefully you've all been excited about spending time personally with God. As we gather together for uh, preaching times and Bible studies throughout the week, one of the things, if you're really going to be spiritually healthy, is you need to become a self-feeder. And sometimes, as we get in God's Word, we recognize that we're reading, but our mind somehow isn't engaging. We're not connecting with the truth. And so this last fall, uh, or beginning of September, we started a personal time with God series in, in which uh, each week you'll have that in your bulletin, Monday through Friday, opportunity to uh, focus in on a passage of scripture and ask questions of the text. Uh, and also in your bulletin each week, we'll have some things about uh, the missionary of the week. And uh, this week, the missionary of the week is Bucky Sidnor from Nepal, who has been involved in helping uh, national churches there as well as a particular hospital. And we want you focusing, praying for that particular missionary on Monday, because Monday begins with the letter M, and missionary begin with the letter M. M. And so you can remember on Monday to pray for a... M. You are a sharp group out there. So, But what I want to announce you today, in case I had a person yesterday who wasn't going to be able to be here this morning, he said, oh, I'm going to miss the insert here with the personal time with God. And I said, no, you're not, because now it's on our webpage. And if you go to our webpage, gracehills.com, uh, look at... Uh, resources or quick links, go to that and I'll have a, a place where you can, whatever you do when you do that, personal time with God, and it'll open up, you'll have the questions for the week, and we are taking um, exams on this, so make sure you do all your questions each week. All right, well that's the announcements, and I hope you're ready to spend time in God's Word. Let's uh, pray one more time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, we thank you for the opportunity to be in a place where we can sing about the one who is mighty to save and the one who uh, can reach down and touch our lives at our point of need, and we can learn more about what life is all about. And Father, I pray this day in which we try to examine uh, some lessons on faith. You might allow us to learn not only that we should have faith, but how should we live that out. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. As some of you know, a number of our men went up to uh, the men's retreat up in Thousand Pines, had a great time, and and I heard that there was a story running around that there was this, this pastor who was on a mountain bike and somehow that mountain bike flipped and he flew off the handlebars. Now, I have no idea where that story came from. But uh, thinking about that, if, if that did happen, I, I just want to let you know that, that lessons are always learned when you go through experiences like that. And, and one thing that 
pasture learn if that actually happened was that when you go down a mountain on a mountain bike, that you need to observe the eight-second rule. You know what the eight-second rule is? Is that the person in front of you, you need to give them space so somehow your speed does not catch up with them. You get too close to them. Plus, if you're going down a particular hill, which is rather dusty and dirty, you can, maybe if you give eight seconds, you can actually see as you're going down the hill. So that, that was one lesson that pastor might have learned. Secondly, if you're going down a hill and uh, you hit a particularly sandy spot, you need to be particularly careful of sitting back on your bike, not forward on your bike, because if you're forward on the bike, it's quite possible that the bike will flip on you. Uh, so lesson number two, uh, the, the third thing uh, um, no, uh, the pastor might have learned is that, um, what did he learn? Not much. Um, what did he learn? I actually wrote this down because, no, he wrote this down so he wouldn't forget. Um, all I know what it was is that if you do fall, fall well, all right? And I just want to let you that, that that rumor that was going on, there wasn't a scratch on that particular pastor. He did very well. He fell well. And part of that, if you know our church family, he learned that from Tony Jones, who also flipped over his handlebars a few years ago and fell well. Now, there are times in life where we're going to be off on an adventure and things will happen. And the things that can happen from adventures is you need to learn the lessons of life. Now, sometimes it's much easier to learn the lessons from somebody else rather than your own experience. But often we need to recognize that as we go through life, God wants to teach us something. Now, this morning we want to learn, we want to learn not about how to ride a mountain bike, but we want to learn how to walk by faith. And this is kind of a place where you would come to it in which you would expect people to talk to you about trusting God, relying upon God, and learning to walk with Him in a way that makes a difference in how you live. But even though we hear about walking by faith, sometimes we haven't quite got the lessons. We don't know we're supposed to maybe sit a little bit farther back on the bike when you're going downhill. That you need to, to this is the lesson I couldn't remember. And it's interesting when you, when you ride a mountain bike, they always tell you you need to look ahead to where you're going rather than just looking right where you're at. And so often that's where we trip up in the walk of faith. We're, we're, so, we're so focused on what's happening now that we, we can't look ahead to see what God is doing. And so as we think about walking by faith, we want to learn from other people's past experiences, and sometimes their failings, so that we might learn that this is how we need to trust God as we walk with Him. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to race through some things this morning. Hopefully, uh, Lord willing, we're going to get through actually two chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 13. But I, what I want to do is just highlight some things about what it means to walk by faith. When, when you're walking by faith, what are some things you need to particularly focus on? And I'd begin at the beginning because this is really a statement about even our first step of walking by faith, which is encountering or experiencing faith. It's this, number one, you must stop going your way before you go God's way. You must stop going your way before you go God's way. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and we read that a few weeks ago, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Now, that's an abbreviated statement of, of Abram's testimony. But what happened, Abram was like every one of us here. There was a time in which he knew not God. 
Now, God always knows us, but there's a time where we don't know Him and we are not in relationship to Him. So, so God called to him, called to him to come to him. But as he called to him, interestingly enough, he, he called him like he calls every single person who hears his call. You're going one direction, and you need to stop going that direction, and you need to start headed the other direction. And you can see this graphically in just what he specifically told Abram. Go out, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. To land I will show you is where he was supposed to go. Where he was to stop going was staying where he was. And for him particularly, he was to stop being connected to his family. Now, if you know the background of this story, his family was in Ur, and then they took a, a kind of a little trip down a, to Haran. And, and we know in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, that, that Abram's father, Terah, was an idolater. He, he was a man far from God. And at that particular point, Abram had to decide, am I going to stay and be what my family has always been, or I'm going to stop and I'm going to look and listen to what God is trying to say to me? If you're going to know me, you're going to have to stop where you're going and then go the direction God wants you to go. And at that point, he had a break from believing in many gods. We know archaeologically that Ur was a place where it was polytheistic. They believed in many gods. And they made gods within, formed within their own hands. And the heritage in which Abraham was in, he had to decide, am I going to believe simply what my parents believe? Or am I going to believe what is true? So Abraham stopped and went the other direction. Now, there are those who talk about the Bible often say that the forgotten word in the gospel is not the word faith, but it's the word repentance. And really, they are really synonyms. They go together, but sometimes we lessen the significance of faith, which means totally relying upon something or someone, having total trust in something in someone. And for that to happen, you know you can't have trust in something else or rely on something else. And so repentance is really the idea of turning around. Now, it's interesting, the Bible refers to Jesus' presentation of the gospel many times. And in his messages, his, one of his favorite hooks was to talk to people, if you're going to go down my path, it's going to cost you. Now, you'll get much more than you'll ever leave behind, but you're going to have to make a choice. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, it says this, Then he said to them, Oh, this is Jesus speaking to those who are listening. If anyone desires to come after me, and that's without exception, isn't it? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Have you ever held on to something too tightly? I mean, was this something that was so important to you? And, and then maybe there was another option out there. There was something else someone could give you, but you, you couldn't even look for what might be out there because you're holding so tightly on to what you had. And, and as Jesus was presenting the message of, of life, in John 14, 6, that very familiar verse, I am the way, the truth, and the, and the life. And sometimes we reduce the life that, that God offers is simply quantity of life. It's life that will last forever. 
But Jesus is the one that says that, that my life is abundant, it's full. My joy is complete. But for you to experience God's life that will last forever, for, your, for you to be able to experience life that's lived at its fullest, you have to give up your own life. It's, it's making the best choice possible. But just like Abram, who would have never become the father of many nations, he had to stop where he was going. He had to leave his family behind. And he had to go to that place which God had planned for him. So number one, faith lessons. Stop where you're going and go God's way. But let's move on. Secondly, remember true faith will be fully rewarded but not always in the now. Now we are in that instant generation. We, we want everything to happen immediately. And that's always been the case. It's not something new to our generation. When things don't happen uh, in our timetable, we begin to wonder, will they ever happen? Well, as you know, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is that as God called out Abram, he gave him some promises, some pretty dramatic promises. He said, if you'll fall after me, I will make you a great nation. I I will bless you. Out of your seed, the entire world will be blessed. And we know that that seed, as we look at what what the book of Galatians, as well as what the whole New Testament speaks to us about, is that seed in which Jesus came. And an everlasting promise, this promise would last forever. It, wasn't, it did not have a time-conditional statement on it. But he also said in, in, in Genesis 12, chapter 12, verse 7, I'm going to give you a land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, we all know that we'll respond to things when we can see things happening. The Bible says that our faith has some perks, has some benefits. Hebrews eleven six says this, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, there are many people, if you talk to them spiritually or religiously, do you believe there is a God? And at least in America, the answer predominantly will be yes. But if you ask them, have you really experienced him in a personal, intimate way? And most of them will kind of waffle on that because if they're honest, they haven't experienced it. Or they haven't experienced him in the way that they anticipate that they ought to experience him. Well, the Bible says that we ought to not only believe that God is, but he's a rewarder. He will respond to our faith. But, but sometimes when we look at that, honestly, you say, well, yeah, but where is this joy you're talking about? Where is this abundance of life you're talking about? We know that we haven't experienced the eternity from this place. We've never experienced heaven in its fullness before we get there. So how do we know that all that we're believing is not wishful thinking? Well, you know, God has left some tracks in the sand for us to look back. Uh, And in Abram's day, as he was beginning to wonder, well, is there a real God? And and does he fulfill his promises? Are there such things as, and we talked about unconditional promises, not based on how much we believe, but simply that God has promised it? Of course, the answer to that is yes. As as he heard, and he was actually a contemporary of Noah. Noah lived possibly 58 years into Abram's life. And as you look at it, I'm sure he heard the stories of the great flood. He had seen some of the the, the markings around the, the planet of the flood. But God had given a promise after that flood happened, didn't he? He said, I'm going to set a rainbow in the sky. And and see, that's the kind of promise when God fulfills that kind of a promise and then adds to it, I'm never going to send that kind of flood again. 
All those years he looked at the rainbow in the sky when the, rain, when the rains came, and the rains never came to the, the degree in which the whole world was consumed by water, even in the midst of the sin that had now reached the same level of Noah's day. Abram could look back and say, God is faithful to his promises. And see, as we examine our own faith, our faith should not be based simply on our experiences. Because if I tell you that I came to know Jesus and now I have, I have so much more peace than anybody else in this world, how do you know I'm not just deluded, crazy? Some guy hit his head falling off a mountain bike, you know? How do you know, how do you know I'm not just making this up? Or I, or I talk about God's guidance or God's strength or God's joy. How do you know I'm just kind of just making this all up? Because there are all kinds of people who talk about their experiences. Well, see, our, our faith is not based simply on what we have felt and what we have known. It, it's based on God's faithfulness in the past. And Abram, and we looking back at Abram, know that those promises were kept. Abram became a father of great nations. As you look at the whole Middle East, it all comes from that root. As we look at his descendants being blessed, you know, where are all those other nations? Where are the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Philistines and the Canaanites? You know, where are they? They weren't blessed. They weren't sustained. And as you look at Jesus, which is our greatest statement of faith, we believe because of the prophetic promises that were found true in Jesus, we look at that individual who was put on the cross and then there was the empty tomb. We look at back at, at promises that were objectively observed actually happened. But there's one promise that still has been totally fulfilled, and that is they have not experienced all the land that God had promised them. But if God was faithful to three or four of the promises that he'd be a great nation. He didn't even have a child at that moment. If God was faithful to the promise that he would be blessed and they have still remained as an ethnic people, if God has fulfilled the biggest promise which is sending the Messiah through that line, don't we believe that God is also going to be faithful to that next promise? Now, there have been times in Israel's history where that promise has been partially fulfilled. In, in Abram's day, it had never been. For 500 years, they did not occupy that land fully. His son and his son's son did not experience that. And it wasn't until Moses' day came back that they occupied the land. Now, why am I going through all that history? Because if we're going to learn faith lessons, it begins with stopping where we're going and going God's way. But it's also understanding this that true faith will be fully rewarded, but not always in the now. There were certain promises that Abraham never experienced. And there are certain things in your life that you're wishing that God would do now. Isn't that true? And you don't know when he will come through. But God will come through. It's interesting, we have in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. I can kind of relate to that. Okay. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder 
and maker is God. He went out not knowing exactly where he was going. He went out continuing to be faithful even though he would never experience fully everything that God had specifically promised him. Now, I don't know where in your life right now that you're really struggling with in terms of believing God because what you have trusted him for has not happened. But the Bible throughout, particularly the book of Psalms, talks about that attribute of waiting on the Lord. Allowing your life to trust in the one who has proved to be faithful in the past has gotten you through until this present that whatever's coming in the future, you can trust him for. So often in our day, we, we hear people saying, people of great faith are the people that God always moves when they pray. Well, if you take that as a definition of a person who has great faith, then Abraham was not a person of great faith. And as you read through and study the section in your Bible study this week, and you look at Hebrews chapter 11, particularly in verses 35 through 39, you'll find people who did not experience God's power in the now, but because they were so confident of God's faithfulness, they trusted him day in and day out. Our faith is in a person, not a genie in a bottle, where we rub it, his stomach just the right way and he pops out with a miracle anytime we ask him. But God will be faithful to his promises. And what Abram experienced was the presence of God in the now and forever. And what greater promise would there be than that? We don't know God's God's plan in detail in terms of what he's going to do with our lives, but we can trust them that wherever we go, he'll be there. Thirdly, going the easy way is not always the right way. Now, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at Abram just fairly rapidly in the next few moments and looking at this man who is known as the friend of God and a man of, of, of great confidence and trust in the Lord, one who experienced the grace of God by faith. But we will also see his failings. And as he has now left the land of Ur and Haran and gone in and seen to a certain degree the experience of the land that God was going to promise for him and his descendants to occupy, he was, he was now going to be tested. And if you look at the life of Abraham, you'll, you'll find that he was tested four times and quite frankly, he didn't do too well in those tests. He failed all four times. Now, you learn after the fact how to live by faith. But he, he wrestled with believing God at a moment. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, um, we have... Well, before we look at it, let me just talk again how the Bible throughout the Scripture talks about it. It's not always the easy way that is the right way. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus made this statement. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate, and what's the next word there? Difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. 
If, if somehow you believe that because you trust in God, believe in God, that your way is going to be easy street, then you're not listening to the words of Jesus. You know, life happens, and it happens to God's people as well as it happens to people who are not followers of Him. And we definitely are different because we trust Him in no matter what we're going through. Now, God had promised Abram that he would have this land. And so he tests him on that. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, we're going to read in the text just a little bit, but most authors I read this past week, and as I began just kind of meditate on the passage, this is a point where we don't have a lot of words describing it, but we know what happened following it. And I would say right here, here's a place where Abram, who had encountered God by faith, now had to live it out or walk by faith, and he, and he, he failed the first test. If you really trust that God has given you something, then you need to trust that God will allow you to keep what he's given. Isn't that true? And hopefully that's true with your relationship with him. If you know the Lord, you're not fearful that somehow you're going to lose it. That that what God has given you, he will protect it for you. What God had given the land, and as soon as there was some kind of challenge, when things got difficult, he wanted to what? He wanted to leave. And I would say this very simply. It is always easier to leave than to stay. And what happened here is that Abram had a choice. He could trust God that he would protect him through the famine, or he would try to help God out and say, well, I will leave and try to make sure I get food someplace else. There are times, in fact, most times, you need to recognize God wants you to stay rather than to leave. And that's true in a job, that's true in a family, that's true in friendships, that's true uh, in just about every, in, in a sport, in athletics, whatever it might be, is you need to, you need to stay, not leave. You need to trust that, that somehow where you are, where you're planted, that's where God wants you to bloom. That's where he wants to have your faith demonstrated. And, and so right here, quickly, uh, Abraham had gotten to the land, had left his, uh, his family, had left his uh, Ur, he had left all that he had known, trusted God to get to that place. He had even put up an altar at Bethel to, to proclaim and to praise God. And then the first time something got difficult, he took off. But let's look at what happened after he took off. And I'm, I'm going to state it, and then we're going we're gonna to look at it. It's also this. It's easier to lie than to tell the truth. It's easier to lie than to tell the truth. Look what happened to him. Hebrews chapter, I mean, Genesis chapter 12 begins verse, uh, verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister that it may be well with you. Uh, with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, how would you like to marry Abram? Okay, gals out there? Okay. Hey, it's getting kind of heavy for me. My life's in danger. Uh, how am I going to get out of this? How about I let you go, and I can go, and then I can go, all right? And, and so immediately, this man who had been promised to become a great nation, now he hadn't experienced that yet, didn't have a child. How could he have a nation? 
had now left his land. Now he's wondering, how am I going to survive? He said, I know how I'm going to survive. I'll just let you kind of take all the heat. And so he's, he's trying to protect himself with a lie. Verse 14. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princess, the princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And so not only did he get protected by calling Sarai not his wife but his sister, he got some cachet, didn't he? All of a sudden, he who was fairly rich now became richer. Now, some it's possible that even Abram might have been even thinking through this a little bit further. If somehow we can convince them that you're my sister, they want to get in good with my sister, so if you're going to get good with your sister, treat their brother pretty well. And so he's thinking the larger picture here. If we're going to die, I might as well die rich rather than die poor. And if they're going to take you, why don't they take you where I get some kind of advantage rather than no advantage? And so for a while, this lie starts to have a little bit more reason to tell. If I'm going to die, if I don't do this, why not we try to figure it out? And you're going to be taken anyway. Let's get one of us, you know, well off. Moving on. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, what God does here is he teaches, obviously, Abram a lesson here. You think I'm not big enough to fulfill my promises. I, I didn't uh, protect you immediately. In other words, prevent the famine to go into the land of Canaan. And, and so you took off. You did not stay. You did not believe I could, uh, I could feed you, so you took off. Now, once you get to that place where you're fine, here, here is my salvation. Here is the food that I'm going to somehow feed my, not only myself, but my family and my livestock. You, you find yourself in this land. Now you realize that you've now jumped from the... Fire, the, the, fire, the frying pan into the fire, right? Whatever. Now, now things are, are directly attacking your life, and you feel the only way out of this is to lie. Now, you need to understand that I am much bigger than a lie, and our, your lies can find you out. And what I'll do is I will send plagues into Pharaoh's household, and as he begins to experience that, he'll realize that, what, just like kind of like Jonah, there's only one reason this is happening, because a man of faith came from another land, his God was powerful enough to send punishment upon me. Now, what was he trying to tell Abram? You need to trust me, even when things are not easy, even when they get difficult. In fact, you ought to expect things will be difficult, because that is how your, your, your faith grows stronger. Our faith will never grow strong unless it has to be put into practice. And so he had two choices here. He had a choice to stay in in the promised land, and he had the choice to tell the truth rather than to lie. This uh, this weekend in your life group study, you will look at passages that speak about God's God's passion for the truth. And we are to be people of the truth. We know that we are walking by faith when we simply tell the what? The truth. Now, why is it easier to lie than to tell the truth? Because sometimes we just 
we feel that's the only way out. And when we're trusting God with the truth, we trust that God is much bigger than our circumstances. What does it mean to walk by faith? It means, first of all, to begin to realize, and this is always true, salvation is always connected to separation. If we're not separating ourselves from the old life, we're not going to experience the new life. We've got to stop going our way and go God's way. Secondly, we need to realize that walking by faith does not mean that we will experience God's answers to prayer immediately. That God has a time frame much different than ours. And we will not always be rewarded in the way that we think we ought to be rewarded in the now as we walk by faith. And some of our, some of our prayers, quite frankly, for people that we care about that are outside um, our relationship with Christ might not be answered until we leave this place. Thirdly, we need to recognize it's, it's, the easy way is not the right way. It's usually much more a demonstration of faith when we are willing to go through the difficult times, not leaving but staying, when we understand that God wants us uh, to always tell the truth and not fall into that which is false. But finally, and I just want to look at some things in chapter 13, is that trusting God not only is, is, is being far away from that which is sinful and wrong in God's eyes. It's, it's recognized that God has called us to live a different kind of life. And, and trusting God enables you to be generous. And, and here we now see Abram learning from his lessons in Egypt. Look at Genesis chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And then Abram called the name of the Lord. Uh, one uh, run, one uh, Bible teacher said this. It's interesting when, when Abram is in the promised land, he's erecting, building places of worship. When he was in Egypt, we have no statement at all that he turned to God, that he erected a place of worship because he was out of the place God had called him to be. Verse 5, Lot, who had been with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let their be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, hopefully you're catching what happened here. They come back to the promised land. God had blessed them materially, both Abram and Lot, his cousin. And as they were there, they began to realize this land is not big enough for both of us. What's happening here, and even, even the foreigners in the land are seeing the bickering between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. This, this is not right. We need to figure out a solution to all the conflict in our land between you and me. And so Lot, who was in the position of power, he was the older one, he was the one that had been given the promise. He goes to, to Lot and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. You can see all the land around us, and I'm going to give you the choice to pick where you want to go. Now, what we see of, of Lot now, uh, what we see of Abram, 
Here was a man who obviously lived a very self-centered life in terms of leaving the land when the famine came. And particularly, he lived an extremely selfish life when he was willing to sacrifice Sarai, his wife, to Pharaoh or whomever else was in the land of Egypt for his own safety, somehow that he would live. He didn't care really what would happen to her. Now he's looking at his life and says, you know, what life is to be lived at, if I'm really walking with God, is not a self-centered life. A life where simply I'm looking out for myself. I will give my cousin Lot the first choice of land. Now at this point, Lot, and we see from passages in the New Testament, probably a person who had come to faith in the, in the true God, began to make a choice, and he made the bad choice. Verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Azor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and, let, and journeyed east. And they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. What Lot did is he looked at where it was most prosperous, where he would get the most financial gain, and he chose that looking beyond that which was dangerous. And see, sometimes we need to recognize that. Even, even when something comes that looks, looks so, so inviting, we need to recognize, are, are we really looking what the dangers might be? And Lot did not consider the wickedness of that land, but he could only see the richness of it. But Abram, being overly generous, that you can pick wherever you want to go. See, the product of, of really walking with God, we recognize that everything we have is, is God's anyway. And, and that we are just called to be stewards. And God wants us to freely give as we've been freely given. In Matthew 6.33, we can trust in the Lord, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, it says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And we need to recognize that when we're trusting God, we need to recognize that we can never outgive God. That when we are faithful to Him, He's always going to be faithful to His people. And we see immediately what God did when he saw the faithfulness and generosity of his servant Abram. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give you and your descendants forever. Can you imagine that? Now, that, that, that's a pretty big gift. You know, start walking in every direction, in every direction you can see, as far as you can see, I will give you that land. Some have said this, that Israel has only occupied maybe, uh, most, most times in terms of their time in the land, maybe 3,000 square miles. Some said at, at its height, maybe 30,000 square miles. But really what God had promised them was 300,000 square miles. And this is the description of that. As he walked those land, as far as he could see, this was the land that God was giving them. And in verse 16, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that as a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. 
Do you see what the response of faith was in Abram's life? Once he trusted God, whether he was leaving Ur and, and Haran to, to Canaan, when he got to the land and he had trusted God, what did he do? He, he built an altar of worship. When he came back from his experience in Egypt, he spent time in worship. When he had the separation between Lot and himself, when he gave generously to Lot to pick wherever he wanted to be, and then God was faithful in giving him a sight of what was to be in the future, he stopped and gave worship. So as we think about walking by faith, we need to recognize that it always has a beginning. And that beginning starts with stopping. Stopping simply going our way and recognizing there's a different way. There's a road less travel that only God has put together. That's that narrow path that he wants us to walk in. And maybe for some of you this morning, that's where you are. You've heard all the things about Jesus and he's the way, the truth, and the life. You've heard that only by him can you experience life to its fullest and life in the presence of God forever. But you haven't entered in because you haven't stopped going your own way. Unless there's separation, there won't be salvation. You have to recognize you can't hold on tightly to this life. You can't keep this life without losing it for the sake of the life only God can give. For some of you, as you're going through life and you're struggling in your faith, and part of the reason you're struggling is because you have these expectations that God has never promised. God has not promised it's going to be easy. There are going to be times where it's difficult. And God won't always respond in the now. But he has said that he will always be present with you. As you look at the lives of all the examples of faith in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, there were some dark days they went through. And that's when we we trust God in the dark because we've seen him in the light. And then we recognize that as we think about the life he wants us to to manifest, it's it's a life of generosity because God has been so generous to us. That, that we don't have to, to hold on to that which we think is so important when we realize that he is what's so important. So, so I, I leave you that question this morning as we continue to, to worship in a few moments in song and as we give unto the Lord. Is, are you walking by faith? What's stopping going your own way to go in God's way? Where is it that you're, 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 you're tripped up because in the now, right now, you're not seeing God, and God's saying, just trust me. You know, when that pastor fell, you know, he was looking too close to where he was at, and he wasn't looking ahead. And when you do that, it seems like you always fall. You know, where is it that God wants you to say, I, I need to open up what God has given me. I want to serve him more, more enthusiastically. I, I, I want to I be who he wants me to be for his sake and glory. Let's be a people marked by, by trusting, relying, walking by faith. Let's pray. Father, there's anyone here this morning that hasn't made that first step. I, I just invite them to do what Jesus invites all those who hear his voice. Admit your need and turn from anything that's holding you back from knowing God. The Bible, Bible calls that sin. It's anything that just has a hold on our life. Believe. Believe that Jesus 
fully paid the penalty for that which we've done that's wrong in life, for sin, and rose again demonstrating that He was who He claimed to be. And commit even this day to follow Jesus, your Lord, God, and Savior. Just open up your heart and say, Lord, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person on the inside. I want to follow you. And for all of us, Father, as we, as we think about living lives of faith, trusting and relying upon you, we, we're going to go through times of challenge as well as times of great circumstantial joy. But in any, in, any, in, in any time, Father, we want to we want to go your way, not our way. We want to lean upon you and, and do what you've called us to be and to do. Help us to trust you with the things that you've given us and with the time you've given us to be your instruments in this world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.